You know, one of the greatest challenges we have as Christians today, I think, is remembering and living out our spiritual identity. Is that right? How many of you wake up every single day and say, you know, I'm going to remind myself of my spiritual identity today, and I'm going to live that out. How many of you do that? Not many of us, right? And we just don't do that. Um, you know, one of my favorite movies of all time, this is going to date me, but there was this movie that came out in the 80s called Coming to America. Anyone see this? Eddie Murphy. It's rated R. You know, I shouldn't be mentioning, but it's a hilarious movie. Anyway, it's, uh, it's a movie where Eddie Murphy is the prince of an African nation, and he has to, he's, forced, he's being forced to marry someone that his parents set up for him in that African nation. And then when he begs his father, the king, to change the law, can't you just change the law? He's like, oh, this is how it's always been done in our country. This is tradition. This is the law. He begs his father, can't you change the law? Why do I have to marry some, you know, why do I have to be set up with some woman from whatever, whatever? And the king says, basically says, you know, hey, this has been the tradition for all these years. Who am I to change that tradition? And then all of a sudden his wife, and of course, it's going to be the wife that brings this up. But, you know, his wife, the queen says, you're the king. You have all the power to change the law. And for that moment, he real he totally forgot that he was the king of this country and that he had all the power in the world to change the laws. You know, so often we start our days so entrenched in our earthly identities that we forget our spiritual one. We forget that we are children of the Almighty God. We forget that we have been declared kingdom ambassadors, ambassadors to the kingdom of heaven. That's huge. Write that on your CV next time and see, and demand that you get hired, right? You're not going to find anyone better than me. I'm an ambassador to the kingdom of heaven. And because we miss out on all those, um, because we miss out on that identity, because we don't remind ourselves of that identity, we, we miss out every single day on so many eternal interactions that we could be having with God that could be changing our experiences that could be changing our hearts, changing our perspectives, changing our trajectories, and possibly even changing our generation. You know? Which means that the fruit and the blessings that God wants us to have every single day of our lives often go unclaimed or unenjoyed. Do you ever think about that? I always get angry when I don't get stuff for free, right? You know, when people are, are giving out stuff for free and I don't get it because they ran out, I get angry. But we as Christians, we don't get angry when we miss out on like the, the eternal gifts that God wants to give us every single day. Anyway, you know, I know many people in our church, we're struggling in our walks with God. And I hope today's message gives you hope. It gives you strength. And for all of us, I hope today's message provides truths that will change the way that you choose to carry out your day so that Jesus himself can actually become your hope, your strength, and your future, so that he can become more real to you. I'm going to uh, preach a little bit differently today. I'm going to share the main point first, and then I have three points that I want to share about it, and then I'll end with the so what. But even the three points that I'm going to share about it, I usually say, here's the point, and then I explain it. But I'm just going to explain the verse first and conclude with the point, Okay. So organizationally, it's going to be slightly differently. Why'd you do that today? I don't know. I was lazy. I didn't, you know, I didn't want to do it the other way. I, it just worked better this way. So here we go. Here's the main point. Jesus Christ in our passage got baptized so that we, can, we could be empowered to live each day as a child of God. Okay? Jesus Christ got baptized so that we could live out 
our days, every single day, as a child of God. Our passage is only three verses long, extremely short, but it's one of the deepest passages in the book of Mark, if not a scripture. Um, I'm only going to cover the relevant bits today, but there is seriously enough, and this is not an exaggeration, there is seriously enough content in these three verses for one whole year's worth of preaching, okay? I will literally skim the surface today, but there's so much. Last week, we talked about baptism, and we said that baptism uh, symbolized repentance and the surrendering of our lives fully to Jesus. People confessed their sinfulness last, in last week's passage. They radically committed their lives and turned their lives around to living for God. So if baptism is about repentance, and our passage today is about Jesus getting baptized, I don't understand that because if baptism is about repentance, why did Jesus, this perfectly holy God, have to get baptized? You ever ask that? Right? If baptism is about repentance, why did a perfectly holy Jesus Christ have to get baptized? Uh, if you ever ask that question, you're in good company because John actually asked the exact same question. John the Baptist. You know, in Matthew 3, we read that, he, this is what he said. Um, he said in verse 14 to 15, he said, it says, But John tried to deter Jesus, saying, I need to be baptized by you, and you come to me. Jesus replied, Let it be so now. It is proper for us to do this to fulfill all righteousness. Then John consented. The language is a little bit complex, but this is what basically he's saying. John said to Jesus, Jesus, you're not the one that needs to be baptized. I'm the one that needs to be baptized here. And then Jesus said, basically said to John, John, I don't have all the time in the world to explain all the reasons why I need to get baptized. But to put it simply, I'm getting baptized in order to fulfill all righteousness. And that last phrase, to fulfill all righteousness, is the money phrase. If you understand that phrase, you understand why Jesus had to get baptized. Um, and that last phrase comes, actually, a, there's a lot of eternal significance, which we'll just skim the surface today. Uh, and here we go. This is how I'll try to explain it. If you were to ask a seven-year-old, hey, some seven-year-old at church, what did Jesus do for us? Or maybe if you were to ask a CG member, hey, what did Jesus do for us? What would they say? They would say, oh, Jesus Christ died for our sins, right? That's the, like, the most rudimentary. And it's true. It's absolutely true. It's wonderful. But it's only half the story, okay? Um, I preached a series uh, asking us why Jesus had to become a man, right? And I gave you all these great reasons. But I actually saved the most important reason for today. Uh, you see... In order for Jesus to qualify to be our Redeemer, who is the person that would pay the penalty for our sins and buy us back into the family of God and give us entry into the throne room of God, which is what it means to be redeemed, it wasn't enough for Jesus Christ just to die on the cross to pay the penalty for our sins. Is that the first time you're hearing this? I'll explain more in a second, okay? And this is what I'm saying. If all Jesus had to do was die on the cross to pay the penalty for our sins, then there's no need for him to live until 33. There's no need for him to do ministry for three and a half years. He could have just been born as a perfectly sinless child and died. And he could have paid the penalty for all that. Or he could have just rocked up one day out of the desert, got in trouble, got crucified, and he would have died. Why did he spend three and a half years doing ministry? Why did he have to live till 33? 
right? There's a reason, and it was to fulfill all righteousness. But let's say that that's all he did. Let's pretend that he died as a baby or that he just came out of the desert and he died at 33 and he, you know, and he just died. What would have been the consequence? What would be the result? The result would have been that he would have paid the penalty for our sins absolutely, you know, comprehensively, and we would actually be declared not guilty of all of our sins. But positionally, we wouldn't have been any better off today than we were yesterday, right? And the reason why is this. Just because we are sinless doesn't mean we go to heaven. Just because we are sinless doesn't mean that now all of a sudden we get to have a relationship with God. Sinlessness is not what gets you in, okay? What gets you into heaven, what makes God welcome you with open arms and into his courts, right, into his throne rooms, what what makes God declare us holy is not perfect sinlessness, but perfect righteousness. Right, that's, that's huge. More specifically, the righteousness of Jesus Christ, which is not only a life of perfect holiness or sinlessness, but more importantly, a life of perfect obedience. Is there too many perfects? Do you guys get this? Do you guys understand this? You know, so what gets you into heaven is when you have Jesus' perfect righteousness. That's what gets you in. You know, when Jesus said that he needed to do this to fulfill all righteousness, what he was saying is that he came to this earth and became a man so that he could live a life of perfect obedience. And that was the only thing he ever thought about doing every single day that he woke up. And and if you just read any of the Gospels, it's in his language. I just want to do what God tells me to do. I'm just here to do the Father's will. I'm just here to obey whatever he told me to do. And it was against everything that anyone ever wanted to do, but his answer would always be, I need to do it because I want to obey my father. That's all he would ever say. That's the only thing that was on his mind, you know? And so every single day, all he wanted him to, all he wanted to do was what God told him to do. And if God said for him to be baptized, he was going to get baptized. And, if he, and he spent the rest of his ministry living in perfect obedience to God's commands, living perfectly obedient to every aspect of the law in full, keeping every re- requirement that God has given his people. And that's why he says in that very famous verse, Matthew 5, 17, that he didn't come here to abolish the law, but he came to what? Fulfill it, right? He came to fulfill it through his obedience. Every bit of it because that was the Father's will, he was going to live it out perfectly. Perfect obedience. Jesus became a man and dwelt among us so that he could live a perfect life of obedience. And the question is, why? There's only one reason why. It's so that he could become our righteousness, or to say it maybe more practically, it's so that when he died upon the cross, he could actually give us his righteousness, his perfect righteousness. And that's eternally important because it's that perfect righteousness that gets imputed to us. That's the theological word. Imputed or credited to our account is the definition. You know, other places in, in Corinthians and, and different places, it says that God clothes us with Jesus' perfect righteousness. And so the moment we place our faith in Jesus Christ for what he did upon the cross for us, not only do our sins get forgiven completely, but he then clothes us or imputes us or 
with his perfect righteousness. And when God looks at us, all he sees is the perfect righteousness of Jesus Christ. And that righteousness gets credited to our account in God's eyes so he can only see us as if we lived a perfect life here on earth. Do you guys understand this? Is this too theological? Uh, So when Jesus Christ died upon the cross, God treated him as if he lived our sinful lives. And the punishment was what? Death. That's what Jesus got. But in that same moment, the moment he died upon the cross, God took his righteousness, and for anyone who puts their, or places their faith in Jesus Christ, he then places Jesus' perfect obedience upon us so that when God looks at us, he can only see the perfect obedience of Jesus Christ. That is why the only way to be saved is to have faith in what Jesus Christ did upon the cross. No matter what else you hear, this is the greatest truth. There is no other way to be saved than by placing your faith in what Jesus Christ did upon the cross 2,000 years. That's the only way to God. Okay, do you guys understand that? Okay, that's the only way. Um, if there's anyone here who has never put your faith in Jesus Christ, or if you, weren't, if you weren't sure about your salvation or how to get saved, this is the only way. Now that you understand why Jesus had to live a holy life, now that you understand why Jesus had to die upon the cross, if you trust in what Jesus did, you can be saved, right? The moment you put your faith in Jesus Christ, not only does he forgive you of all of our sins because all of your sins get placed upon Christ upon the cross, but he then puts his perfect righteousness upon you so that God can now only only see you as perfectly righteous. Do you guys get this? Right? And there's better stuff to come in the rest of this passage. So you have to understand that it's not our lack of sin that gets us in, but it is being clothed with Jesus' perfect righteousness that does. That's why it says in 2 Corinthians 5.21, God made him who had no sin to be sin for us, taking our sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Do you understand that now? We actually became the righteousness of God. What did you do to do that? Nothing. Jesus did it all. Philippians 3.9, not having a righteousness of my own, there we go, that comes from the law, but that comes what? How? Through faith in Christ. That righteousness that comes from God on the basis of what? Faith, trusting in what Jesus Christ did for you. Christians call it the great exchange. Hillsong, I think, came out with an album called The Great Exchange. This is what they're talking about here, okay? And God exchanged our sinfulness with God's righteousness the moment that we place our faith in Jesus Christ. Do you guys understand this, right? This is huge. So many Christians don't know why they're saved or don't know what actually truly gets you into heaven. This is it. This is what Jesus means when he tells John that he must be baptized in order to fulfill our righteousness. He wanted to obey God so fully so that we could be imputed with that perfect righteousness, right? Praise God. Jesus had us in mind. Not only did he want to please the Father, but he knew he had to live a perfectly holy life so that we could be saved. Isn't that amazing, right? Um, Jesus, so here's the first point. Jesus got baptized so that we could be declared righteous by faith. Awesome. Number two, that's verse 9. Here's here's point number two. It starts in verse 10. Verse 10 says that when Jesus came out of the water, the Holy Spirit descended upon him. Here, Jesus is literally getting anointed by the Holy Spirit. A lot of theologians believe that this is actually God, this is like Jesus' coronation. This is God uh, coronating his son uh, to be the Savior. Now, here's the question, though. If Jesus Christ was fully God and fully man, which he was, 
why did Jesus Christ need to be anointed with the Holy Spirit? Did you ever ask that question? Right? Why did Jesus have to be anointed with the Holy Spirit? I mean, didn't he, have, didn't he have already have all the divine power that he needed to do in ministry? And the answer is, no, he didn't. Okay? He didn't. You see, you know, a lot of people think that when they read the miracles of Jesus Christ in the Gospels, that, you know, they, they read that he made people blind or that he resurrected people from the dead. And they're like, oh, yeah, of course Jesus could do that because Jesus is Jesus. He's God. He's God's son. Why wouldn't he be able to do that, right? You probably thought like that, too. But this is one thing you have to realize. Um, Jesus Christ did not perform any of those miracles as God. Jesus Christ performed those miracles as a human being anointed by the Holy Spirit. Do You see, the Holy Spirit came to anoint Jesus' humanity, not his divinity. And that's something you have to understand. Jesus performed all of his miracles. He fulfilled his mission as a human being. That's what you have to realize. And if you truly understand what we just talked about in the previous point, then you realize that the only way that Jesus Christ could have truly become our righteousness by living this perfectly obedient life was as a human. That's the only way that it could count. If Jesus Christ lived a perfectly obedient life as God's son, to me, that's cheating, right? And it doesn't count towards our righteousness. But the only reason why it does count is because he perfectly lived, he, he lived this life of perfect obedience as fully as a human being. Philippians 2, if you don't believe me, Philippians 2 and there's a whole like section dedicated to this where it says that Jesus Christ literally emptied himself of his divine qualities so that he could be obedient as a human being till death. That's what the beginning of Philippians 2 says. You can go read that on your own tonight. Hebrews says that he was tempted in every single way as a human being, but overcame. And that he learned obedience through how? Suffering. Right? That's unpopular in Christianity today. But that was the only way he was actually successful. Isn't that crazy? What does that say to us? If we want to be faithful and successful in our walk with God, maybe suffering really is the only way to live truly obedient. Right? You're not going to get much offering preaching that on a Sunday, but it's unfortunately true. This is the only way, because that's what Jesus did, right? Uh, he could fully identify with us in every single way. Jesus Christ literally is at the right hand of God, and when you pray, those prayers, you know, we're going to combine it with Jesus. But Jesus understands everything that you're going through because he actually lived his life down here as a human being. But in order to live faithfully, he needed the anointing of the Holy Spirit because you just can't do it as a human being. You need God to live for God, and so did Jesus Christ. What does that mean for us? It means that when you put your faith in Jesus Christ, John says that we also will be filled with the Holy Spirit, right? The moment you put your faith in Jesus Christ, the same Holy Spirit that anointed God, Jesus Christ, will now fill you. That same Holy Spirit, right? So if you are a believer and you put your faith in Jesus Christ, you are filled with the Holy Spirit. Jesus, as a human being, needed the Spirit every single day to live faithfully and allowed the Spirit to guide him. He allowed the Spirit to control him so that he could live in obedience to God. And what that's saying to us is we need to do exactly the same. If the same Holy Spirit that anointed Christ to perform miracles, that anointed Christ to live faithfully, is now in us, wow, right? We literally go daily, not accessing him. 
And then, you know, we look at our lives and we live these lives of unfaithfulness or we make all these mistakes. And we're human beings. We do. But we go through days without accessing the Holy Spirit that God gave us so that we could live faithfully and live intimately with him. Isn't that crazy? Right? We're so stupid sometimes. That's my second point. That's not my second point. The second point is that Jesus got baptized so that we could be led and controlled by the Holy Spirit every single day. It's available to us. It's in us. Right? That's the second point. Part, here's the third point. We find that in verse 11. God himself speaks audibly to the whole crowd here in verse 11. And the first thing that comes out of the mouth, so you got to realize the scene is that there's all this whole crowd gathered. John's like baptizing. Jesus rocks up. And then boom, he's about to get baptized. But then a voice comes from heaven. It's got, it had to be the coolest thing in the world. But what does God say? If you were God and you're like, dude, the first words that this generation is going to hear from me is what? You, know, you could say so many things, right? But what are the first words that God says here? He says, you are my beloved son. With you, I am well pleased. He doesn't even speak to the people. He speaks to Jesus. And he, he allows everybody to hear that. Right? And that's absolutely amazing. Here's one question, just for fun. Has your father ever said, to you, said this to you? You are my beloved daughter, my beloved son. You know, I am so well pleased with you. Have you ever, who, who's heard that? Just for fun. From your parents. Some of you, great. You're so lucky, right? I've never heard this from my father, ever. This is how I know that God is not a Korean immigrant, okay? <laughs> I've never heard that from my dad. Anyway, okay, let's move on. But I just find this passage amazingly wonderful, right? Maybe because I never heard it before. Out of all the things that God could say first, the first thing that he publicly declares is a statement of affection. Of all the things that God could say, it's a statement of affection. You are my beloved son. That's so intimate. That's so beautiful. That's so wonderful. I'm so jealous. The second thing that he declares is his feelings for his son. When was the last time your parent, my dad never declared his feelings for me? Anyway, uh, he says, with you, I am well pleased. Well pleased. And the thing is, as an, this, is how, this is how I think as an Asian, when I first read this, what did Jesus do? He didn't do anything yet. Right? He didn't. This is the beginning of the book. But already he's well pleased with his own son. That's crazy. But why would he say that? And the answer is I don't know. I don't know why God says this. All I know is that he said it. Maybe Jesus really needed to hear that as a human being, knowing exactly what the next three and a half years of ministry was going to look like. If, can I sum up what those three and a half years of ministry was going to look like? Rejection, op opposition, frustration, betrayal, torture, death. That was the next three and a half years. You know, or maybe God just wanted to say it. Because at the heart of it all, and maybe at the heart of who he is, all he wants to declare every single day is how much he loves us. Right? Did you ever think about that? that the first thing that would burst out of his mouth is declarations of love and affections over his kids. Right? Maybe that's God, who God really is. One thing I know for sure is that he said it. He declared Jesus to be his son. Everybody heard it. Everywhere now knew that Jesus Christ was the son of God. Right? And God declared that his son was absolutely loved by the Father. God loved his son Jesus. I believe that Jesus not only needed the anointing of the Holy Spirit to be faithful, but he also needed the love of his Father 
to faithfully live out his righteousness. I truly believe that a father's love can be that powerful. You know? I'm going to assume that uh, most of you saw that movie, Finding Nemo. Am I right? Is there anyone here that hasn't? You know, I'm going to assume that everyone found it. The first time I ever watched that movie, I cried like a baby because I couldn't believe that a father would actually risk his own life and travel like the world underwater to find his one son, right? Because I never believed that my dad would ever do that for me. Yes, I have very deep daddy issues. But I, I just, I, that, that was it. That was my upbringing. But, but that's why I think the gospel was so powerful to me the moment that I heard it because to me, the, to me the God, and I know we hear about Jesus Christ dying for our sins, but the only thing I ever heard or felt was that there was this God who loved me so much that he was willing to give up his other kids in order to have me. I never, ever, ever heard that in my whole life. And I must have been that valuable to God for him to sacrifice his son just for me to be his child. That was absolutely mind-blowing to me. So why wouldn't I give my life to this God to live forever? You know, I was lost, but out of his love for me, he, my heavenly father gave up everything, risked everything to find me and to pursue me. And because of that, I think that's the only reason why I choose to wake up every single day and try to live for God, why I wake up every single day. And even though I don't really enjoy being a pastor, I will remain a pastor for the rest of my life if that's what he wants me to do, because I'll do anything because I'm loved that powerfully by my dad. That's it. And so are you. You are. That's point three. Jesus got baptized so that the love of God could become your second-by-second reality. So what? We'll end with some so what's and then we'll close. You know, today's story is a story of Jesus getting baptized. And honestly, there are a lot of truly deep theological stuff that's going on here. But after repeated reading of this passage, there's only one conclusion that I really come to every single time. And that's this. Jesus Christ, right, the gifts that were given to Jesus Christ to live a faithful life is equally available to all of us as well. That's it. That's the main thing that I keep on getting. It's the story of Jesus' baptism, but everything that he was anointed with, everything that he was given, is fully available to us as well. I'm going to ask you a few questions, right? Is Jesus' righteousness made available to us when we put our faith in Jesus Christ? Yes, the great exchange. Does his righteousness buy us into the throne room of God at any time, no matter what we've done? And the answer is yes. Can anyone take that away from us or change that in any way? Can we ever be disqualified in any way from getting into that throne room, from having that relationship, from being his beloved? And the answer is no. No one can take that away from us. That means that the moment that you close your eyes to pray, if you close your eyes to pray or however you choose to pray, you're there in the throne room of God. Not because you earned your way in, but because Jesus Christ made that happen for you, right? You don't have to fear. You don't have to be self-conscious. You just have to be thankful. It makes no difference if you just sinned the worst sin just that one second before. You're in. Because of Jesus' righteousness that he imputed to you. Not because of your goodness. It's never based on our goodness or our performance or what we just did. It's fully based on what Christ did for us 2,000 years ago upon the cross. You are fully welcomed into the throne room of God and into his presence at any time, no matter what. Isn't that amazing? Second set of questions. 
When you put your faith in Jesus Christ, did the Holy Spirit fill you? Yes, John declared that to be true. And did the Holy Spirit not anoint you so that you could be led by him and empowered by him and live a life of obedience just like Jesus did? The answer is yes, he did. Did not Jesus himself say in John 14, 12 that the Holy Spirit will do even more powerful things in you than he did in Jesus? Yes, that's exactly what Jesus Christ said. And can we ever lose that anointing? Can we ever be disqualified from that anointing if we have faith in Christ? And the answer is, no, you cannot. That means that no matter how far you might feel you may be from God, no matter how deeply trapped you may think you actually are in your sins, there is no place too far. There is no hole too deep. There is no place that the Holy Spirit cannot rescue you from. No matter how confused you may be in the direction for your life, the Holy Spirit will always lead you and guide you into righteousness. No matter how many times you may have failed in the past, the Holy Spirit can and will empower you to be faithful today. And lastly, those are all positive. I'm going to go slightly negative here. There is no excuse and there is no reason for you not to be able to live faithfully for God today because the Holy Spirit is fully in you. You know what I'm saying? Last questions. When you put your faith in Jesus Christ, did you not become God's child? You did. You were saved to be loved. You were saved to be celebrated. That one verse where Jesus Christ comes out, maybe you've read it a thousand times, you know? Jesus comes to get baptized, and God goes, oh, you're my beloved son, with you I'm well pleased. And you probably glossed over it. You probably didn't think it was nothing. But to me, that's one of the greatest verses in the Bible. Because the first thing that God can't wait to say is his declarations of love over us. you got to know that. There's absolutely nothing that can change God's affections towards you. There's absolutely nothing that can change God's love for you. You know what I'm saying? No matter how nasty my kids are, and my kids sometimes are really nasty. Seriously, though, I wake up the next day and I can't wait to see my kids and just kiss them and stuff like that. Right? They smell, but I can't wait. Because I just love, there's nothing they can do to not be a bang. They're my kids. They're my blood. Do you know what I'm saying? And that's it. The affections just come no matter what they do. They can destroy stuff. And if you come to our house, there's so much patchwork now because they destroy everything. But there's nothing they can do that makes me not want to declare how amazing they are. You know? And that's exactly how God feels about us. His love for us never changes. And because we are his most, look, we're not, loved, we're not just loved, we are his beloved. And because we are his beloved children, right, what we need to learn to do every single day is wake up and allow that identity, allow that prayer to saturate how that whole day goes so that all things that day could be saturated in his love for you. How? Much can your life change if you woke up every single day saturated in someone's love for you? That's transformative, man. That could change the way you operate that day. That could change who you live for that day. That could change the trajectory of where you want to go with your life that day. That has the power 
it not only impact every relationship with you have, but possibly even in, impact your generation, which is what you were saved for too. But we miss out on that because we choose to wake up and we begin our days where we think we are as opposed to who Christ redeemed you to be. And Jesus Christ didn't get baptized so that you could wake up to realize who you are every single day or who you think you are. But he got baptized so that you could, you could wake up every single day to who he redeemed you to be. Do you understand? Jesus Christ, he got baptized so that we could be empowered by his righteousness, so that we could be anointed by the power of the Holy Spirit, and so that we could be saturated by his love every single day. Why? So that we could live out his spiritual identity, so that we could live out his, our spiritual identity as God's beloved children. Let's pray. If there's anyone here who has never put your faith in Jesus Christ, maybe you had no idea what it really means to be saved. Maybe you grew up in church, but you weren't like crystal clear as to what Jesus Christ did and why it was that important. Hopefully today clarified those things for you. And if it did to the point where you want to place your faith in Jesus Christ, that's the only way you're going to get into heaven. That's the only way to have a relationship with God. That's the only way to become a child of God. If that's what you want to do, then would you put your faith in Jesus Christ today? What does that mean to put your faith in Jesus Christ? I think in this context, it means, like it's almost like getting baptized, isn't it? It's like repenting of your sinful life, saying, hey, that life that I lived in the past, I'm no longer going to do that. I surrender that to you. And I'm going to take a completely direction with my life now that I'm your, ch your child. I trust in you. I want to be anointed with the Holy Spirit. I want to live a different life. And maybe for you Christians out there, it, that's, what, that's what it is. You want to live a changed life. You can. It's so important to trust in Christ every day. It's got to be an active trust. And maybe today's the day that you're realizing, oh man, I want to make that happen. I didn't realize I was foregoing all that every single day. Jesus Christ got baptized so that you could live out your identity as his child. Let's do so. Let's not look at ourselves, but let's look at Christ. Let's put our faith in him. Let's trust in him so that we can live out all the gifts that he gave us through his baptism 2,000 years ago. Let's pray.
Father, we thank you for the work that you're doing even now upon the hearts and the minds of the people in this room. God, continue to chip away at everything within us that is so tempted to make Christianity a religion and to become religious rather and just, you know, sometimes we rock up to this to church and we just want to fulfill our religious duty or just we just want to do whatever we need to do and god we miss out every single day on you but lord help help us not to do that anymore because that's not what any of us ever imagined when we put our faith in jesus christ and over the years we've kind of just made it more about christianity than jesus more about church than Jesus. But Lord, continue to focus our hearts and our eyes not upon ourselves or even our performance or any of our performances, but God, upon Jesus Christ alone so that our whole faith, our whole day, our whole tomorrow, every relationship, all that we are can be seen through the cross alone. We thank you, Father, for sending your Son not only to take away all of our sinfulness and to punish your Son for it, but God, so that he can impute us with his perfect righteousness so that we can become your beloved as well. Lord, help us to realize how amazing that is. And may the gospel truly be and become that much more powerful every single day that we're alive so that we could increase in our thankfulness towards you. We thank you, God. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.